One of my favorite birthday cards uh, that I've given over the years and probably gave it to one of my siblings, it says, happy birthday, and then inside it says, here's to getting closer and closer to looking just like mom and dad. <laughs> Isn't it true? As you get older, you tend to have the mannerisms, you tend to look like them. And it was interesting, I looked online and I saw several celebrity side-by-side pictures of father and son. You got Tom Hanks and his son Colin. What do you think? Yeah, pretty, pretty good family resemblance. You've got Angelina Jolie and her father, John Voigt. Huh? What do you think? Not so much. <laughs> then you got George Harrison and his son, Danny. Yeah, same shaped face, huh? So I'm wondering among you, is there anyone here that is sitting with a family member that you think you look alike or that you have a lot of family resemblance? Karen, come on up here. Let's see. Okay, can you see Chesney and Karen side by side? See any family resemblance? Yeah. <laughs> All righty, good. Anybody else? You've been told there's family resemblance. Well, you know, it's interesting. Somebody's pointing back there. Somebody raised their hand in the back. Yeah, okay. Michelle, this is our administrative assistant, Michelle Silva. Yay, we love you. Yeah, and your daughter, Grace. Oh, you and your mom. Okay, what do you think, everybody? What is your name? Susan, great to have you. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I love that. You know, as we get into this letter that we're in, in this particular chapter that we're in, which is 1 John 3, he starts out the chapter by talking about children of God and children of the devil. He has this big contrast. And he says, and you can know them by their behaviors. Children of God are going to look more and more like Jesus. They're going to look more and more like the righteousness and the goodness and the behavior of Jesus, not just the outer appearance. Children of the devil are going to look like Cain. Do you remember what Cain did? Adam and Eve's first offspring, Cain and Abel. Cain actually took his brother's life because he was trying to be protective of himself. He was jealous. But Jesus, what did he do? He gave his life in order to protect and to care for all of us. So as we are children of God, we're going to look more and more, we're going to have a family resemblance to Jesus, look more and more like him. And this has been the articulated goal of the spiritual life that Trinity has named recently. You know, John, who actually wrote this letter, or this little letter is attributed to him, and we follow his life in the Gospels, we see that he didn't really understand the kind of love that Jesus has for us, even though he was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. It took him a while to figure out what it meant to actually love others the way Jesus loved him. If we look at some of the gospel stories, we hear how they were traveling on the road and they traveled through Samaria. And when the people in Samaria didn't respond well to Jesus, you know what John said? Hey, Jesus, what about if we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Jesus is like, mm, it's not my way. 
And then later on, when it looked like Jesus was getting more and more popular, and then maybe he'd get elected as president, they said, hey, can we be in your administration and have, like, the key positions in your administration? Jesus is like, no, it's not my way. So it wasn't until after Jesus was crucified, after he was raised from the dead, after he sent his spirit to live in us and abide in us and help us abide in him, then John started to get it. That really what it meant is that he would become more and more loving like Jesus, which is the goal of the spiritual life. Now we can tell he's getting it because of what he's writing in this little letter. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to be in 1 John 3, verses 12 through 24, 16 through 24 rather. So join me in prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to hear you speak to us as your disciples here this morning. And we are praying that your Holy Spirit will fill these words, this word of scripture, my words, and all of our listening so that we might truly know you, know your love, and become more like you. Amen. 1 John 3, verses 16 through 24. Listen to God's word to you. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children... Let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. And all who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Throughout the letter, he likes to call them little children and also beloved. And he has this longing for them to grow up and become more like Jesus, love in action. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. You know, there's a verse in Romans 10 that says, if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord. And if we believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, then we will be saved. And so people pretty much believe that if they just do that, if we say Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that's enough. 
But no, there needs to be more. There will be a family resemblance. There will be alive in us this love in action. It will look like Jesus. And what did Jesus look like? He was filled with compassion. I think of the teaching in Buddhism that's, that's explained so well and embodied in Jesus, the threefold way of compassion. The courage to see, the courage to feel, and the courage to act. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? I think it actually takes courage and intentionality to see people who are in need. Jesus did that. He very intentionally put himself around people that were hurting, that were sick, that were hungry, that were in pain, that had enormous needs. He didn't have to do that. When you think about life here on the peninsula, and especially the part of the peninsula that we live here in the suburbs in San Carlos, Belmont, Redwood City areas, we are not necessarily seeing those in need. In fact, I think most of the time, we are seeing people who are better off than we are, and we are feeling like we don't have enough, and we need to have more. But there are people in need. Around the world, 50% of the people on this planet, 50% live on less than $2 a day. And in this county, San Mateo County, 18%, according to California Poverty Measure, which includes housing, are below the poverty line. 18%, that's high. Homelessness rose 12% in 2013, and I don't know the stat for 2014, but I bet it's even more than that. My nephew was visiting this last week from Irvine, and I had been um, preaching at Street Church, and I came home, and I was in this passage, and we were talking about being around people who are poor, and, and so I asked him, I said, where are the poor where you live in Irvine? And he said, well, they clear them out, was his response. So if you've got homeless, they're not going to have those homeless hanging around Irvine. In his descript words, he said, they clear them out. I said, well, where would you go to be around the poor? And he stopped and he thought and he said, Santa Ana. <laughs> You'd have to go out of the city of Irvine to be around the poor. It takes intentional effort, I have discovered this, to be around people who are in need, to see our brothers and sisters in need, because we don't have to if we don't want to in our particular situation. Courage to see. The Mexico mission trip actually very intentionally spent a lot of money and a lot of time taking people outside this country, not that we don't have needs right here, but actually going to a part of the world and being so freed up of every other distraction that we could see. It's one of the most powerful things that happens on this Mexico mission trip, is to actually see what need looks like, that we don't see right here in our bubble all the time. It's when Kurt was telling me, one high school student commented, they were next door to an orphanage. And this one high school student realized, wow, 
People grow up with no family, nobody to take care of them, and are abandoned on the streets. That's a whole different seeing. The courage to see, and people sometimes ask, why do we spend so much money to send people out of the country on mission trips to help when we've got so much need right here? Why do we send them to Mexico? Why do we send them to Romania? You know why? It changes our seeing right here. When we go away and see, we come back with different eyes to see what's going on right here in our own backyard. It changes us and gives us the courage to see and the courage to feel. Jesus was with people who were hurting and in pain and in grief and lost their only son, one mother, or out in these fields with thousands of people that are hungry and like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion. He suffered with How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods, sees a brother or sister in need, and yet refuses help? It takes the courage to see. It takes the courage to feel, to be with them enough to know what's going on and what it's like for them. Ironically enough, on this Friday afternoon when everybody came back from Mexico, it's one of those little windows of time that I treasure because there's so much enthusiasm and there's so much storytelling and I really am so eager to hear what the week was like for them. So I love getting them fresh off the trip and just quizzing them and finding out what was meaningful for them or what was exciting or what was powerful and it's just really, really great. So every minute of that time matters to me. And so Michelle comes out from the office and she says, there's a person in the office who's looking for money and, you know, I told him that we don't give out money, and, but he refuses to leave. So I'm thinking, oh, really? Really? I got to go deal with this situation when I want to be visiting with all the people coming back from Mexico? So I was like, okay, Mary, buck up. So I get in there. <laughs> I sit down with this man um, who does, that's not the man, but he looked a lot like that. Um, Asked him his name, heard his story, um, and it was really, really moving. I mean, it was very, very rough. He was pulling up his pant legs and pulled up his sleeves, and he had sores all over his body, and he was showing me the paperwork from the hospital that he's got impetigo, and he can't take this narcotic because he's got addiction issues, and, you know, he's trying to get to this you know, permanent housing in Santa Cruz, but he can't get there unless he has money to get there, and everybody wants to make an appointment, he doesn't have that much time, and so basically he wanted $25 to get to Santa Cruz, and here I am, we don't give out money, we basically partner with all the organizations that know how to help him better than we do, so I ultimately say to him that, You know, we don't give out money, but we do have great organizations. And he's like, you're not listening. You know, it takes too long. I don't have time. I'll work for the money. I'm thinking, well, how are you going to work for the money? That would take time. But he really wanted, the only thing he really wanted to hear from me is that I was going to give him $25. And so when I didn't say I was going to give him $25, he left. He was in tears. He was angry. He was upset. He walked away down the parking lot. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is just so painful. I've got the world's goods. We've got the world's goods. I'm seeing this man in need. I couldn't see anybody with more need than what I was looking at on the couch next to me. And he was walking away, not feeling helped whatsoever. And I still felt bad the next day when I was praying about it and thinking, Lord, you know, what? What should I have done? Even now it makes me want to cry. And I think it's God's spirit that makes us wrestle 
with what does help look like? What does help really look like? And what does it mean to be a child of God who grows up loving more and more like Jesus? And I think about the way Jesus loves. Jesus loves in a way that actually heals and brings help and actually is long-term help. And I think about some of the organizations that we have here. Home and Hope, which actually is providing homes for homeless families and helping them get off the streets so that they're not walking around in this same cycle of begging. Hope House, helping people get clean and sober so that they're dealing with their addictions. St. Francis Center, helping to educate people so that they're getting jobs, so that they are on computers, so that their lives are changing. Long-term help in the many partnerships that we have in this church, which are absolutely amazing. So as I agonized and struggled, it was God's spirit that was leading me, us, to have the courage to see, to have the courage to feel, and have the courage to act. Not just reactively, not just in that moment, so that we're doing knee-jerk reaction that's not really going to help him in the long term, but that we're doing that long-term helping. When I think about people that I look at and I say, okay, there's a family resemblance to Jesus. They look like him. I think of people that are not just doing handing out sandwiches to people that are in need. But I think of people in huge ways that are laying down their lives to help people in need. I was just reading about a farmer in northern Illinois. He makes a great living, not all farmers do, but he's got a wonderful abundance of crops. And so what he does with all that abundance is he does not get more wealth for himself or for his family. He says this, we make more money than we need. And the Lord has blessed us. Our operation has been a profitable one. We want to share. And we like to think of it as investing in significant things. So he gives away most of his money to retired mission workers that don't have enough to live on. That inspires me. That resemblance. I think about a guy who retired early, who spends most of his time making investments, and instead of trying to beat the market and acquire more wealth, he goes against the grain. He makes money in order to give it away. Once he hits a window of, or a ceiling of a million dollars, he starts giving it all away. And once he's given it away, he does investing until it goes up to a million dollars, and he gives it all away. And he writes, I've tried to follow Jesus, who had some pretty radical things to say about what we do with our possessions. We are stewards of what we call our own. We are not really owners. I try to be a good steward with what I have and to share it with people who don't have. This is growing up, knowing Jesus so intimately that we become like him. You know, one of the exciting things, we just got our TAG survey back. This is the visioning survey that many of you took over a month ago. And in the top 10 questions describing this church and what we do well was this particular one. I love it. Our church strives to make a difference in people's lives outside of our own church. That is good. 
Trinity, that means we're growing up to be more and more like Jesus. Another thing that came back in the focus groups, many of you said in this particular conversation group that we want more opportunities for families to serve together so that you can raise your children to be more and more like that servant love of Jesus Christ, knowing the needs of others and giving. But then this particular in the 20% negative I have participated in an outreach event sponsored by this church within the last 12 months. 33%, a third of this church said no. So that means that there's many opportunities. Many of you are already involved in other organizations. It doesn't have to be through this church. But there's many of you that are longing for this that haven't quite made the journey from the courage to see to the courage to feel to the courage to act. And we're still needing to work on how to help you know the meaningful ways that we are helping that homeless man that walked away, not helped. No, we're helping in long-term ways that are making a huge difference in the lives of people outside this church. The spiritual goal and what will reassure our hearts before God that we're actually getting anywhere, that we're actually growing is whether or not, as children of God, we are knowing Jesus so intimately that we are becoming like him. And if we are, we will be love in action. We will be loving one another. We will have the courage to see, to be near the people we don't necessarily want to be near. But they're the very ones Jesus wants us to be near, and not just for five minutes, but to have a relationship with them, like you can have with Home and Hope when you're sitting down and having a meal with homeless families. Families, you can take your kids to this. It's perfect. Or your grandchildren. It's perfect. As we help out Epiphany and as we help out a week long here in the summer. Courage to see, the courage to feel, to be in relationship. It's why we do these sponsorships. We're writing to these families and kids. You're getting to know these families and the needs and the courage to act, to lay down our lives, to help them out. This is how we as a church are growing up to be more and more like Jesus and how we as individuals. So let's pray. Please pray with me. Jesus, abide in us. Help us to abide in you. We want your spirit of love living in us. So as we encounter people like this particular man who so gripped my heart, that you are leading us in ways that are truly, truly helpful and healing. We pray for your spirit of love for this world to deliver us from only being around people who have more than we do, to deliver us from reactive responses that don't really relate that don't really feel, that don't really help. Help us to know you so intimately as your beloved children that we love just like you do. And we praise you, God. Amen.